0: No, not you, Doug. <laughs> that was a good run. <laughs> My name is Jeremy Kelly. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, excited to be with you here this morning as we continue our series in Matthew. We are walking through the book of Matthew, and if uh, our past series and uh, walks through books of the Bible give any indication, we should be here for uh, a couple years, maybe. <laughs> We will see you in 2021, 20, 22. Now, we are, uh, we're uh, excited to walk through this book. Uh, what an incredible gospel. Um, so if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, that is where we are. And uh, we're going to get started. We'll jump right in. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And let's just take a moment. Take a breath. And listen to the Word of God. Because as we're going to see in this passage, something we should reflect on right now as we're about to read it. These are God's words to us. That's a big deal. Amen? God has spoken to us through His Word. And we get an opportunity here this morning to read His Word to us. So let's do that. Matthew chapter 4. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he came to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Speak to us this morning. I mean, you've spoken to us, but open our hearts. By your spirit, change us by your word change our perspective. Help us to know you better this morning. Help us to trust you more this morning. Help us to recognize where our affections truly belong as we see you more clearly. In Jesus name, everybody said. Amen. So here we are, we've been walking through Matthew and we've we've talked through the incarnation of Jesus and his birth and the incredible fulfillment of prophecy that that Jesus, uh, that Jesus did as, as, as God orchestrated His birth, as God orchestrated the Incarnation and, and the events that took place. We see that, that these Old Testament words from the prophets all pointed to Jesus, all point to the reality of who He is, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we come in chapter three to Jesus' baptism, and we see God speak. This is my son." who I'm well pleased and Jesus is baptized. And, and as we jump into the ministry of Christ in chapter 4 and through the rest of Matthew, before he begins his ministry, the Spirit leads him. We see the Spirit of God leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. What a remarkable thing. Jesus goes to the desert, and what we see here is Jesus goes to the wilderness as the Spirit leads him, is that God is orchestrating, really, a, a, a testing for Jesus. Yes, Satan comes and tests Jesus, but God in his sovereignty, Satan's a pawn in this, right? God in his sovereignty is leading Jesus to a place where he is tested and, and shows that he is exactly who God has said he was in his baptism, Amen. And the Spirit of God, leads Jesus to this place. As as the plan of God for redemption is worked out in the life of Christ and who he is, he comes to the wilderness. And what a remarkable thing that that is so clearly depicting the reality of this moment for us as Jesus goes to the wilderness. We see Jesus in in so many similarities uh, to Adam, to Moses, and to the people of Israel as God is orchestrating and pointing to us the reality of who Christ is. He goes to the wilderness and, uh, sorry, you guys catching that ring? Yeah, you got it. You're all over it. (laughs) Um, we uh, We see the scriptures depicting for us the reality of who Jesus is as he's taken out into the wilderness. And he's tested. Adam was a little bit different, right? Adam was tested and tempted by the devil in a very similar way with very similar language as, as, as Satan is the serpent in the garden. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you see Satan as the serpent in the garden using similar language or, or implications. Is it true that God say or, or did God really say? But Adam really is, is in Eden. Like he's got it good, right? Adam's got all the food he could ever want. He is in paradise. He's in the Garden of Eden when he's tempted, and he fails. And we see the scriptures declaring to us that Jesus is the second Adam, the last Adam, the better Adam. Where Adam failed and plunged humanity into sin, we see Jesus does not. Amen? It's good news. Jesus comes to the wilderness, and it says in chapter 4 in the beginning, uh, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How many of you guys can relate to that? 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Man, that's a test. He, uh, 40 days and 40 nights, we see, is very similar. 40 years Israel in the wilderness being tempted. I'm sorry, being tested. And we see Jesus here in the wilderness fasting and being tested forty days and forty nights. It says he was hungry. A couple days ago I was at work and someone said, you know, at about that time, right? I started thinking about lunch at like ten. <laughs> Must have been about eleven thirty. I get a text from my buddy, You hungry? And I thought to myself, Well. I haven't really been hungry in about 10 years, right? <clears throat> I just know it's time to eat, right? I, <clears throat> I generally keep myself so consistently fed that I don't really remember the last time I felt hunger um, in a real way. Maybe some of you don't relate. Um, there was a day, though. I, I, I Believe it or not, there was a day. I wrestled in high school, and uh, I knew what it was like to go without food. Man, I was cutting weight, cutting weight hard, uh, doing it the wrong way, too, which inevitably ended my wrestling career a little bit early. But I, uh, I was pursuing a goal, and, and I had to make weight. I was making, probably my junior year, I was making 105 pounds. I look like the guy that ate the wrestler that was 105 pounds right now. But back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, I was cutting weight, and I was getting down, and it hurt, man. I remember just, just going without food. Just, and it was all wrestling season, of course, is around Thanksgiving time, you know. So, so everybody's housing food. You're coming into the holidays, and it was just miserable. I would get on a rubber suit. I would run to school. I'd get to school, get in the locker room, get changed. Lunchtime, I'd go sleep in the coach's office. You know, get to wrestling practice. We'd crank the heat up in the wrestling room and sweat, 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 sweat. Then I'd get, you know, get to the get to the scale after practice and just pray that I was close to on weight so that maybe I could have something to drink. And uh, it was brutal. It was brutal. I was secretly doing stupid stuff too. You know, taking you know women's water pills and just doing dumb things to try to dehydrate myself and get down. And inevitably, it was really, really unhealthy. My parents are learning this from the first time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Ma. You we are looking for those. Uh, but yeah, it was brutal. Absolutely brutal. What, what, what an awful thing to go without food. And we see, we see Jesus physically going through incredible testing. Jesus uh, with a goal... Uh, as he is pursuing the will of God, as he is coming through a moment of testing and, and realizing something we're about to see here and we're about to read, um, my goal was totally selfish. My goal was I wanted my hand raised. My goal was I wanted to be section champ. My goal was I wanted to make weight so I could compete at a particular level and, and, and fit onto the team where I fit. But, but this is so much different, so much more. Uh, of a testing is Jesus goes in for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's in the wilderness. And he's tempted. And he's hungry. And the tempter comes to him. And, and, and what's interesting is the words of Satan here. Because we see from the, from, the, from the language, he's not questioning whether or not Jesus is the Son of God. He's really not. In the way that he states this, he's assuming that Jesus is the Son of God. The temptation isn't to get Jesus to disbelieve who he is. The temptation is to get Jesus to misuse who he is. And Satan looks at him and he says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. We want you, I want you to to show you're the son of God. You're the son of God. You have the power. You're endowed by the spirit of God with incredible power. And you can look at these stones as the son of God. And you can turn them into bread. And you can immediately feel better because you're hungry. Man, I can't imagine how tempting that was. I don't know how tempting it was for Jesus, because Jesus had a compelling goal. It doesn't seem like Satan really is much of a match for Christ in this passage. Jesus' compelling mission drove him. Obedience to the Father drove him. He knew what he needed to do and where he was going. And he answers with the word of God. It's written. He uses the scriptures, the actual words of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see Jesus quote Deuteronomy 8.3, where we find Israel was being tested in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy 8.3, Israel's in the wilderness, and they're being tested, and they And they want more food, and they're crying out for more food, and we see the Word of God come that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and Jesus quotes that very passage of Scripture, and he looks at Satan and he says, "Yeah, you know, I would imagine Jesus, being the Son of God, endowed by the Spirit of God, could have turned rocks into bread, and he could have eaten if he wanted to eat, he could have ended his suffering if he wanted to end it, but, but he was, he was going to get where where God had called him." to be by obedience and by walking through the thing that God wanted him to walk through. And he responds with the scripture. And he says, yeah, it's also written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see Israel 40 years in the wilderness as a disobedient son. But in this moment, Jesus did what Israel couldn't do as a nation and what Adam didn't do in the wilderness. Jesus is obedient. Amen? For us, he is obedient. Spirit leads him into the desert, leads him for the purpose of testing. And Jesus proving what God the Father attested to in his baptism. Calvin said, the Father's aim is Is to accredit Jesus. The devil's is to discredit. In this passage. And we see the accreditation of the father. In this moment. The father's purpose. Leading him by the spirit. The devil's just reacting to the plan of God. Jesus quotes the word of God. And he says man shall not live by bread alone. Satan comes back. Little tit for tat. In the second temptation here. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And look at this, Satan throws out a little scripture himself. Oh, you're going to quote verses, Jesus? Let me quote. Psalms. He'll command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus responds, I can do this all day, right? You want to misuse scripture, Satan? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Again, it's written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What an amazing moment in the life of Christ here. Jesus' response in the second test. Here we see Satan take him to the political and religious center, the holy city, brings him to the highest point. And Satan, looking at him, assuming, yes, you are the son of God. And here's what Psalm 91 says about the son of God in verses 11 and 12. You, you, could, you could cast yourself off and you're, the angels will hold you up. And you're not going to strike your foot against the stone. That's what the Bible says about you, son of God. Why don't you throw yourself down and prove it? Throw yourself down and prove you're the son of God. The Bible says the angels are going to hold you up. You're not even going to hurt your foot if you were to jump off the highest point. In the holy city. And Jesus, I love it. He counters with the word of God. It's not that these two verses contradict themselves. It's that, J, it's, it's that Satan doesn't know how to interpret scripture, right? He's got bad hermeneutics. And Jesus looks at him and he says, that's not what that passage means. That's not what it's talking about. The word of God you sh- says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to be a magician for you just because I'm the son of God. I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need to prove to you who I am. I know who I am. And I'm obeying the Father. And I'm not going to jump off and do some magic trick for you. Because the word of God says, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus counters with scripture. I love that Jesus in I would imagine a difficult moment as he's hungry as Satan brings him to this place high above the, the city in the temple and he tempts him Jesus is not for a moment concerned about anyone else's approval but the father's Jesus receives the father's approval by what serving as an obedient son And we can't miss this in scripture because Jesus is doing something that we see Adam didn't do and the people of Israel couldn't do in the wilderness when they were tested. The law was clear. Living according to to the way that God called us to live was clear, but Adam failed in the garden, and the people of Israel failed in the wilderness. And Jesus now, the last Adam, Jesus now, the obedient son, unlike the nation of Israel, he comes and he receives acceptance from the Father in his obedience, and he does not fail, amen? He doesn't fail. Folks, this is huge because there's something in the gospel that, that we need to realize, and that's this. As Jesus becomes the propitiation for us, as Jesus becomes the wrath-absorbing substitute for us, he doesn't just die for our sins and receive the wrath of God for all of man's sin, which he does. He does something else, and this is huge for us, and we can't miss it. He gives us his righteousness. None of us could do this, folks. We couldn't live up to the law. Adam failed, the people of Israel failed, and we have failed. We are bound in our sin. And as Luther exclaimed that he was completely burdened by the reality of his own sin, and then when he read Romans, he realized there was this great exchange, an alien righteousness, not of his own, that Jesus and his righteousness exchanges our unrighteousness for his righteousness, so that now when God looks upon us, he doesn't see all of our screw-ups if we're in Christ. He sees Jesus. Amen? Jesus didn't fail. He he walked through this test with flying colors. He fulfilled the law and lived a righteous life that none of us could live. And he proves it right here in the beginning of his ministry through the testing of Satan. We read the verse today. He's been tested in every way. Just like us. He just passed. Amen? And guess what? We get his grade. That's good news. That's good news. Jesus receives the Father's approval by serving as an obedient son. The leap from the temple would not serve as as trusting the Father. It would be testing the Father. And he wasn't going to do that. Jesus did better. Amen? Then we jump to the third test. Jesus said to him again, it's written, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. What an incredible statement here. This one's a little different than the first two. He's not talking about the fact that Jesus is the son of God anymore. He's not trying to get him to misuse his status as son of God. Not trying to get him to shortcut uh, his status as son of God. Here he's saying, he's saying I'm going to give you all the, all the kingdoms of the world up on this highest mountain. I'm going to give you everything that you see. All you have to do is, is break the first commandment and worship me instead of God the Father. And Jesus remarkably retorts with the word of God again. Here we see Satan is is addressing Jesus. Uh, What what he's trying to do is he's trying to tempt Jesus to misuse his messianic prerogatives. He's he's trying to get Jesus as the son of God to shortcut where God, here's the reality of this. He's going to rule and reign, is he not? He is going to rule and reign all of the earth. God God has seated him on his front on a throne, and the nations are his footstool. Jesus will rule, but Jesus is walking through his ministry and the cross and Calvary and death and taking upon himself the wrath of God for sin. And Satan says, oh, I'll shortcut all that. I'll give it to you now. You can shortcut everything that God's called you to do, and I'm going to give it to you now. I love Jesus' response. What a hero in this passage. I mean, this is like, this, this to me, and maybe I'm reading into it a little bit, this to me does not seem like much of a battle. This is like my favorite movies nowadays, where like Liam Neeson just kills everybody, right? And, and it's, not even, it's not even hard. Right? There's not even really a fight. He barely gets hurt. I, I think I just watched The Equalizer. D- Denzel is like, he's so much better than everyone. He never has a tough fight in the whole movie. He just, just wins, right? Satan comes to him and tempts him with the, 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 the nations, brings him to the top of a mountain, and he says, Be gone. Be gone, Satan, for it's written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan leaves. How remarkable. Be gone, Satan. Let me me quote scripture again. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Satan blatantly asked Jesus to break the first commandment. Worship me. And again, this relates to Israel. We see where Israel failed this, do we not? Israel, 40 years. In Deuteronomy, 40 years tested in the wilderness. And, and, and there in Exodus 32, as soon as they think an idol can get them something. I mean, think about that for a moment. God has, has um, engaged the plagues to dislodge them from Egypt. They, they watched it. They, they, they flee Egypt. Moses steps to the edge of the river, and it parts. And they walk through it. And the Egyptians behind them get into the middle of the riverbed, and the waters collide and, and kill the Egyptian sh- soldiers. They follow in the wilderness a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke so they can get to where they're supposed to go. I mean, God is moving miraculously. And Moses goes to the top of the mountain, and as soon as they get a chance to figure out how to get some more food, how to get out of the wilderness, how to get to the promised land, they disregard everything the true God had done for them, and they're melting down gold and worshiping calves. As soon as it seems as though they may be able to get something from somewhere else, they're worshiping idols. And here Jesus, hungry, tested, in the wilderness, Satan brings him up and says, man, you can miss the cross, you can miss the whole deal, I'm going to give you rule over all these nations right now. Jesus, for a moment, for a moment, doesn't even flinch. Be gone, Satan. You should worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. Jesus succeeds. Jesus is the final Adam. Jesus is the obedient son. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus has paid the price for our sin and exchanged our unrighteousness for his righteousness. For those of you who are in Christ today, Jesus did it. He's won. Amen? The Messiah has accomplished what he was sent here to do. And he proves it right here in this testing. Jesus was not going to misuse his messianic rule by disobeying the Father, by shortcutting his calling, by doing something differently than what he knew he was supposed to do in relationship to the Father. He was not going to skip the road to Calvary. He just says, "Get away, Satan," and he quotes Deuteronomy six thirteen: "It's the Lord your God you shall fear; him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear." We see in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 the exclusivity of Israel's God. You shall worship the Lord your God and worship him alone. Jesus knows the scriptures. Jesus knows the word of God. You know, I don't think we can, think we can overstate that. Listen, the practical, the, the doctrinal reality of this passage is that Jesus fulfilled uh, righteousness on our behalf. That Jesus passed the test. That Jesus is the Messiah. But the reality is, and we talked about it today, and we do it every week in our service, is that we struggle, don't we? that so we struggle, and, and yes, Jesus has fulfilled it for us. But we see, this isn't a what would Jesus do moment, because we, we recognize that we can't do it, and that he's done it for us. But there certainly is some, some reality of, of the way Jesus behaves in, in, in light of temptation, that we can also look to this example and say, as we worship God with our lives and as we pursue Christ and as we experience temptation, how do we deal with it? Do you not see that here? What we see screaming from this passage is that Jesus has done it on our behalf. But we also see the reality that that the word of God in the life of a believer matters greatly. I don't know that I've ever loved the word of God more than I love getting something to eat. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I mean, it, th- he loved it more than food. He found the word of God being more essential to him than getting something to eat. We see later on in John chapter 4 that he does the work of the father again and with the woman at the well. And when the disciples come back with food because they're all hungry, he's like, I'm full. I'm doing what God wants me to do. His obedience to the scriptures, his love for the word of God, his understanding of how powerful God's words were in his life as he utilized them to battle temptation and to battle the devil in this regard is unbelievable, folks. And I think there is a challenge here for us to ask ourselves introspectively that question. Yes, I am so grateful and I worship God for the reality that Jesus is my righteousness, that Jesus has passed the test, that in my failure, Jesus, he was successful But listen, as I walk through temptation, do I know the word of God in my heart? Do I crave the word of God like I crave food? Do I crave understanding who God is, who he said he is, what he said about me in his word as he's spoken words to me? Do I love it like I should? I don't know if I do. I tell you what, I'm becoming less and less interested in hearing people say really clever, neat things that they thought up and that they throw some verses on. Right, 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 right. I'm becoming a lot less interested in clever, clever preaching. I really want to hear from people who dug into this thing and tell me what it says. I don't want to know what you say. I want to know what God says. Amen? Amen. That's our prayer here. I should be becoming less and less interested about filling my free time with entertainment when I have access to the words of God for my life. What does God say? As I talk to my children and I hear as they get older, them contemplate, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What school should I go to? What career should I pursue? What should I do in this situation? And I I try to have words of wisdom, and I try to have these conversations. How often do I stop and say, I don't know, honey. What does God say about what you should be doing? What does God want you to do with your life? He may not tell you specifically what vocation to pursue, but I tell you what, he'll tell you how to pursue it. He might not tell you the specifics of these things, but the answers for life's questions and for what you're doing and where you're going and how you're to be living and what you're supposed to be spending your day doing, it's all right here because God's spoken to us, amen? What does God want me to do? Get up on a Saturday morning and I gotta tell you the first thing that comes to mind is where am I going to breakfast to get some really good fried potatoes and some eggs and toast, amen? Amen? (laughs) but how often am I waking up and, and saying what is God saying to me today in his word how do I pursue the word of God and hide it in my heart so that I not sin against you? How, how can I pursue the word of God so that when the allure of this world becomes more attractive than my affections towards Christ, so that the allure of the things that would cause me to walk this way start to be getting brighter and the reality of, of God starts to be getting dimmer? How do I get back into the word of God to adjust my perspective so that I see who God really is in comparison to these things? That I would worship the Lord your God and him alone and not pursue idols. The word of God, amen, it adjusts our perspective. It adjusts the way that we think. We're not supposed to be bringing the way we think to this. We're supposed to be going to this to figure out how we're supposed to be thinking. This should be the foundation blocks for the way we build our lives. This should be the foundation blocks by which we make decisions. What do I do in regards to my marriage? What does the word of God say? God has spoken to us about it. What do I do in regards to my children? What do I do in regards to vocation? What do I do in in regards to my affections and the things I pursue? The, The word of God has foundation, but God's spoken to us. So often we just, we just look around where there's so much information flying at us at every second and do this, do that, look at this, take a look at that. I got alerts that pop up that, that, that sometimes govern my day. Shut the alerts off on the app if you need to. Every time I get one, I think I need to pursue it. What has God called me to pursue today? How do I orient my life to the word of God, his words to me? How do I reorient my life to this so that I can delight in his law, so that I can pursue him the way he's called me to, so that I can can battle temptation, temptation to worship other things, temptation to constantly feed myself with the things of the world instead of feeding myself with the word of God? What do we see from this passage jesus is the messiah jesus is exactly who god said he was in that baptism and he goes into the wilderness and he proves it and he continues to walk through his ministry in that regard and he defeats satan in the greatest way we see in the in luke's passage that we don't see in matthew's passage that that satan left It just says he left in Matthew's passage. What we see in Luke's passage in this narrative is that Satan left for a time until a more opportune time. This wasn't the last time Jesus had to contend with temptation. We see Jesus heading to the cross, right? Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Then he begins to tell them, well, this is what the Messiah has to do. I'm heading to the cross. I'm heading to sacrifice. And Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not into that. I don't think you need to be doing that. Speaking words that would detract Jesus from the greatest mission, to head to the cross. What does he say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus deals with temptation in the garden, Jesus, the Messiah, to our great benefit, was faithful to the end. Amen? Faithful all the way to the cross and bearing that weight on our behalf. We see the word of God in the scriptures. as God speaking to us and it brings us life. We need to pursue it. And we see that Christ fulfilled the law and righteousness on our behalf. We worship a great God, do we not? We worship a God who's accomplished it for us. And we worship a God who's spoken to us in his word. It's becoming increasingly remarkable to me how much Jesus Relied, utilized, quoted, and spoke the scriptures. As we read through Matthew, we're going to see that. My challenge to you today and to all of us is that we would know God's words to us. Amen? That we would pursue it, that we would go after it like we do a great meal. That we would desire it like we do the greatest restaurant. And the greatest meal. Because it is. It's so much better. You know, Satan quotes Psalms and says how the angels are going to take care of Jesus. And Jesus dispels his misuse of the scriptures with scripture. And then ironically we see at the end of this passage, what happens as soon as Satan leaves? The angels come and they minister to Jesus. In his defeat of Satan, his defeat of temptation. The angels were there all the time. The angels were there even though he may not have seen them. And when Satan leaves, they show up and they minister to him. I can only think in my mindset that that was one heck of a breakfast. Right? I mean, how do you break a fast? It's probably... An incredible breakfast Jesus had with the angels there in the wilderness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We see here in Matthew 4 a piece of what it is you accomplished. You are the hero of this story. You defeated Satan. You defeated sin. You defeated death. The biggest thing we can do is just rely on you. We rely on you. You have done it. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for, unlike Adam, unlike Israel, you fulfilled all of righteousness. You lived that life we couldn't live. And the only one who didn't deserve to pay for sin, you paid for it on our behalf. This morning we worship you. As you hung on the cross, I would imagine all of heaven. in on the most pivotal moment in the history of the world. And you were tempted again as they jeered at you and yelled at you, you're the son of God, just like Satan said. You're the son of God. If you're the son of God, call on angels and you could come down from the cross. And I bet that every angel in heaven was poised and looking and watching this moment Jesus you couldn't save yourself and save us at the same time you remained silent and defeated Satan's sin and death again you didn't need to prove that way who you were you were faithful to the end worship you this morning. And we thank you in Jesus name everybody sing.